I am going to um, do a demonstration for those of you who haven't seen it. What we do when we go out on the preaching team, open air campaigners on Friday and Saturday nights and preach at the piers and the whole goal is to do a simple presentation of the gospel and you know those typically are the most effective. The goal is not necessarily to have an altar call from the paint board but to present a message that people are drawn to it, it finishes with a gospel message and then we are desirous to have one-on-one -on -one counseling sessions with those who remain behind, those who are interested. And I would say that the foundation upon which this ministry exists and prospers is the prayers of the saints. And we covet your prayers. And I've been told by numerous people here that you're praying for this ministry. And that's why I try to bring you updates on a regular basis as we see souls saved. And as, you know, Paul writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2, I believe it's verse 9, he, he, he says to the Thessalonians, are you not our crown of exaltation? This, this glory, this reward we have, you know, as we say on the track box, Becker, the one who wins souls is wise. Now the one who wins souls is not someone like me who stands at the paint board and paints. Oh, I'm part of it. But everybody who has a part in the ministry, those who are praying from afar, those who are praying on site, those who are counseling, and yes, those who are preaching, it's all part of it. As Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, even before we plant a seed, there's some furrowing of the ground that somebody's doing. That's praying. Maybe someone's praying for one of their loved ones. One plants, one waters, one reaps the harvest. But it's God that gives the increase. As I mentioned this morning, we saw five souls trust Christ last night at Santa Monica Pier. A Friday night, the ministry was rained out. We didn't get to go out. And last year, they, they said they saw more souls than in the preceding years. There were some 8,000 people who heard the gospel locally from the preaching team, and there were 470 professions. Um, now, I, I would like to ask for specific prayer one of the prayers that I often try to remember to include when praying about this ministry is, Lord, don't let us ever see a false profession. We don't want to lead anybody into this false sense of security that, they're, that they have peace with God when maybe they don't. So tonight what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to do one of the gospel messages. I've only done this one twice, once here, and then I did it once for Russ Hodder who actually put this message together. Um, my goal is not to come here with something polished. I want you to kind of get a, a, a picture of what we do when we're out on the, on the pier. And then later on, I'm going to do a, a painting I've never done before. And it's really a demonstration because what does an evangelist do? If we look at the context in Ephesians chapter 4 where Christ gives certain men as gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastor teachers, the whole purpose for those men are to equip the saints to go out and do the work. You know, the gospel command was not go out and bring them in so we can preach to them. Now that's a wonderful thing to have happen. I, I'm not at all against that, but the command is go out and preach the gospel and that's what we as individuals are called to do, to be a witness. It doesn't necessarily mean you go out like some of us do on a street corner and preach or at the pier, 
but in our day-to-day lives. And so I'm hoping that tonight um, I I can impart to others uh, some information that will help them overcome some of the fear. And that fear is natural and normal. I'm often nervous before I go out to preach the gospel, most of the time. If I'm not nervous, I'm frightened. Um, You know, as our brother was sharing this morning, you know, some... you can see a message that's going just wonderful and beautifully. I, there's been times I've been preaching and it's like, man, this is really working good. <laughs> Nothing happened. And I know I've told you before, there's been times when while preaching on the street corner, I have frozen, could not complete John 3.16. I, I was like, Lord, is there sin in my life? What is it that's causing this? I'm doing such a p- terrible job. Yeah, people got saved. It's got caught. <laughs> Russ, Russ, it's... It's not you, it's me. If we're willing to go out, if we go in faith, the Lord is going to show up. It's in his heart, his desire, that lost souls would come to salvation, to a saving knowledge of his son and to a a knowledge of the truth. That doesn't give us excuse not to prepare. We should do all we can to be ready. You know, what, what do we do? We study the word to be approved so that approved workers are not ashamed. Yet we don't go in the arm of the flesh. As Zechariah says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so that brings us back again. We want the spirit, and the spirit is pleased to work when we go out, but it seems God is especially pleased to work when saints are praying. And the fruit we're seeing is evidence that there are indeed many prayers. And I, again, I've had quite a number of people from here and at the home who say they're praying for that ministry. And our team, when I tell them, they're greatly encouraged by that. And again, we see uh, the Lord working. Even when there's bad weather in very small crowds, sometimes we have massive numbers of, of those who come to South. It's like the, they're the only ones the Lord brings to us, those who want to be saved, that he's been working in their hearts. So I'm going to tell a story now. It's not my story. Um, it, it originated with uh, an American humorist. Uh, James Thurber in the late 1930s, and he was a humorist, but he liked to tell stories that had a, a moral, a meaning to him. And of course, that's what we do when we go out to preach the gospel. Well, it's called the Fairly Intelligent Fly, and there's three main characters, and well, I'll just introduce you to them as we go through. There's a, a drafty old barn, and in this barn, there is this guy, Boris, Boris Badenoff, and he, of course, is a big spider. Now, Boris is from the old country, and he's a perfectionist. He has made himself a web, as he always does, that's almost perfect. Now, it takes him a long time, but this web is very effective. Boris gets breakfast, lunch, dinner, and, oh yeah, he gets a midnight snack too. And you can see that Boris has prospered. Boris has gotten quite large. But Boris also knows that if he's going to be effective, he needs to hide the true purpose of his web, and he needs to keep that thing clean. So when he's had his meals, he comes in there and he cleans up house. And Boris continues to draw the unsuspecting flies in to have a meal with him. 
Well, Boris is sitting there wondering, I wonder where my next meal's coming. And about that time, he hears, and he looks out, and in comes the next person in our little story. And his name is Poindexter. Now, he, he's a bright fellow. You might say that he's the fairly intelligent fly. At least that's the name that James Serber gave to him. We'll call him Poindexter. And he flies in, he goes up near the web, and he sees it, he flies around, he looks at Boris, and he's just turning to go away. And when Boris realizes, uh-oh, my breakfast for this morning is about ready to leave. I better do something. He goes, friend, friend, come, please, sit, come to my web. Let's fellowship and maybe have a bite to eat. Well, as I said, uh, Poindexter, he's a fairly intelligent fly, and he, he looks at Boris, and he looks at the web, he says... There's no way I'm landing on that web. I know what that web is, and I know what you are. You are a spider, and if I land there, you will suck my guts out because that's what spiders do. So the fairly intelligent fly recognizes the danger, even though it's been cleaned up and made to look pretty. And it's just as he's turning to fly away, he notices something else. On the floor of this barn, there's something that looks like, well, it's like a dance floor, and he sees his friends down there while there's there's Sherman and Mr. Peabody and, and Rocky and Bullwinkle and why there's even Dudley and Nell. So <laughs> he's thinking, I'm going to go down. And about that time, our third character shows up. And this is Natasha. Natasha Fatal. And she joins in and she sees Poindexter. And, now she's a caring individual. And she says, friend, where are you going? He says, well, I'm, I'm going down there. I says, I see all my friends. Looks like they're having a party, but the party looks really dead. I, I'm going to go liven things up. And Natasha goes, friend, it, it looks dead because they are dead. That's flypaper. If you go down there and land on that, you'll be dead too. Now, the fairly intelligent fly, at least he felt he was fairly intelligent, he was insulted. Here's this insect. Well, this, I guess it's not an insect. Well, it's a bumblebee says, there's this bee that's insulting my intelligence. He says, buzz off. I know what I'm doing. Besides that, all my friends can't be wrong. So what does he do? He spirals down, and there we have poor Poindexter between Bullwinkle and, and uh, Dudley. Dead. Dead right there. He was wise enough to recognize the danger of the web, but not wise enough to recognize this other danger. He thought he was fine, and he ended up um, in dire straits. Now, James Thurber's moral was, there's no strength in numbers. He also went on to add, or anything else for that matter. At least he was being fairly honest in that. Now, it's a humorous story with a message, but I want to use this to move on to something that's much more important. And it's the same thing, there was consequences for Poindexter when he landed on this this flypaper, and we have the same question for ourselves. You know, we're in this life, and we recognize some dangers, but do we see them all? You know, we can spend time in this life trying to figure out, scratching our head of how to get ahead, but then we start thinking about the next life. What if there's consequences in the next life for the things we do in this life. And you know there's a conscience inside each of us. 
And we know that's true. And as I've said before, I don't care where you go in this world. That's, that's imbued in every person. Now, it is true there are those who can sear that conscience and shut it out so that it no longer is effective. But if we look at this the situation and realize that there is a common denominator for all human beings, and we might discuss politics or music or, yes, religion, and we'd all have disagreements, but there's one thing we can all agree on, at least all sane people, that is that one day every one of us is going to be dead. The million-dollar question is what happens next, and are there consequences? Because really what we want is we want life. But you see, there's this problem that exists which separates us from true life. We have some sense of it here, but how about a life that lasts forever? I mean, that's the goal for every human being. Again, inside our conscience tells us we have this desire to continue. But we're separated. On this side, we have death. On the other side, the pleasant pastures of life and life eternal. And we know that if we're considering matters of eternity, we must do it in light of the supreme deity of God himself. For he's the only one who can tell us where heaven is. If we listen to what his book tells us. And what does it tell us? It says there's a separation. God says, you know, the arm of the Lord is not so short that he cannot save. However, he says, your iniquities have created a separation between us. That separation, we can characterize it with a little three-letter word that people hate. But all it means is there's a lack of perfection. You, you've missed the target of perfection. And you know, again, as I go through this life, I've really never met anybody who, in sincerity, said that they thought they were perfect. They all agree that there's something wrong with them. Indeed, the, the evidence of that in this life is that, as we said before, everybody dies. Seems like there's an unhappy ending for every single life. Yet God himself says that we can have life eternal. That he can solve this problem. That there's a separation. We're on one side, God's on the other. And no matter what we do, we can't get through to the living God. Not by the arm of flesh. What is the answer? Well, God has given it to us. You know, his son said... In John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. Now, he was speaking about sheep. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He also says, I am the door. He says, anyone who enters through me will find life. He will go in and out and find pasture. So what has happened is God has taken the circumstances of our uncleanness and addressed it he has created a door that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who also said I am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the Father except by me and if we will accept what God has provided we can pass 
from death unto life. Jesus said, if you hear my words and believe him who sent me, you'll have everlasting life. You will not come into judgment, but have already passed from death unto life. Now, how does this happen? Well, that sin that we spoke of, it must be paid for. God never forgives any single sin. That may be shocking, but it's the truth. God cannot ignore sin, and neither can he let any sin into heaven. If he let even the smallest piece of sin into heaven, well, it would ruin heaven. So it must be put away. Now, if I try to pay for my own sins, I do it forever in a place that I don't want to be. It's that lake of fire. But there is somebody else available that could pay for my sins. And it is someone who had no sin of his own to pay for. The Lord Jesus Christ. It's spoken of this unfair trade which takes place in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, He who knew no sin was made to become our sin, that we might become his righteousness in God. And the payment was made according to, the, according to Scripture. It says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, He died for our sin according to the Scripture, was buried and rose again on the third day according to the Scripture. So someone who didn't owe the debt and had no sin of his own came and paid the price, shed his blood. And when God looks at me now, sinner that I am, he says, Russ, he says, you're full of iniquity and you have no righteousness. But look at my son. He's full of righteousness and has no iniquity. Let's make that trade. And when I accepted that free gift, at that very moment, God's declared not guilty because I believed that Jesus Christ died and paid for my sins. And though he shed his life, his blood, and gave his life, and they buried him in a tomb and covered it with a stone, but on the third day, the stone was rolled away, not to let him out, but to let us in and see that it was an empty tomb. And he was resurrected. Making what he tells us in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 true, he says, behold, he says, look at me. I'm he who was dead, but I am alive forevermore. And see, I have the keys to hell and death. And again, that backs up what he told us in John 5, 24, that if we hear his words and believe in him who sent him, we'll have everlasting life. We'll not come into judgment, but have already passed from death unto life. And like the sheep, now we're free to enter into the kingdom of God and enjoy the fruits of the glory of God for all time. Now, the only question that remains for us is, Will we accept this? Because our sins have been paid for, but it's not effective until we agree that we needed that payment made on our behalf, that we're unable to do it ourselves, and we accept Jesus as the only sacrifice, trusting that he has completed this work. And that moment of faith and that, that act of believing God brings peace with God. For then my sin is transferred to Jesus Christ, and right along with my sin, going to Jesus Christ goes my eternal death. And I'm made to become a child of God. Now, we thank you for your time and listening to the presentation. We have gifts we'd love to give to those of you that are interested. We'd love to spend some time talking with you and explaining what this gospel means and how you can know for sure that you have eternal life. So don't leave without taking one of our little booklets. And that essentially is what we do when we go to the pier. 
We've got lots of different messages. We've, we each tend to make up our own. But you know, they're all the same message. It's all the message of, of lostness of all human beings and that there's salvation only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the goal, as I said at the beginning, is to get people, they're drawn in by the colorful lights, particularly out in the darkness with the black light, and they hear and listen. There are those that, as soon as they hear the word sin, they're out of here. As soon as the word God goes up there, they're out of here. But they've heard a little bit. And maybe we're just furrowing the ground. I talked with a, a couple last night that are, they really weren't interested in spiritual matters, but I was able to talk with them about four or five, six minutes and impart to them that, you know, we don't, get, we don't get notches in our belt when we sign you up. We don't get brownie points. Our only brownie points come from telling others. And I don't need you to believe what I believe to validate my beliefs. I'm only telling you this because if this really is true, my conscience will not let me not tell you. And even if you completely disagree, at least understand that when I do this, or your loved ones, your family that keep pestering you, they're doing that because they believe this to be fully true. Now, they, they thanked me. They said, thank you for sharing it in that manner. We've really never heard it that way before. They didn't trust Christ. They did take a tract with them. They did, and I challenged them, think about this now, because if it's true, I mean, if it's wrong, I'm just a kook. But if this is true, nothing else matters. You've got to get this right. And you could see that it at least got them thinking as they left. So, and that's our goal. We want to we wanna challenge people. Of course, we've, we've, we're thrilled when we see somebody trust Christ. And, um, but we don't know what the plan of the Lord is for that night and with the people that he's bringing. Like I said, there'll be nights when it's cold and miserable, and yet he'll bring a whole group of people that trust Christ. And other times we have full crowds, and we don't see any professions. So... I'll talk a little bit about what we do, again, as an evangelist. We want to challenge people. We want to challenge people to step up. You know, I remember Glenn Gunderson over at PFB talking about gifts. And he says, whatever you gift you give somebody, that's the one you focus on. And I heard Jabe Nicholson deliver almost the exact same message. Um, so the evangelist, he wants everybody to be evangelists and come out and preach the gospel. Well, that's not the plan of God. We're one body, but we're individual members. And so to go out somewhere and stand on a street corner and preach the word of God, that's not necessarily the, the job of everybody. But again, witnessing is. And we certainly would like to see um, evangelism taken to the next level here. And it's, that's not just me. That's a number of us uh, getting together and talking. We also recognize that um, this is a fearful thing. I, I, I brought some notes with me. I don't know that I'll turn to them. But the greatest fear a Christian has is sharing their faith. Um, virtually every survey that's taken on it, that's the, the most common fear. And as I said, most people who go out preaching the gospel are nervous about it too. There's a lot of fears of being rejected, of being ridiculed, of not knowing what to say. You know, well, as one preacher put it, you know, you have a conversation with your neighbor and he says, what did you do this weekend? First he was thinking, well, I want to tell him about church, but if I tell him about church, am I prepared to give the gospel? And if I'm prepared to give the gospel, how do I get to doing that? And so paralysis sets in. 
And I don't know how many times that, that happens to me. I'm not up here pointing the finger in chastising people. I'm here praising you for the support you've given us in prayer. But I'm also saying that this is the common thing. When we get to heaven and we watch our loved ones go to the lake, I got friends, loved ones, and comrades who've already passed into eternity. I have no chance to go back and do that. And I weep today because I don't always have a broken heart for those that are still around me. How can I explain that? I can't. But I know that in obedience, the best chance for salvation for others comes when we submit ourselves and we move forward. So, again, as an evangelist, as one who recognizes that the Lord has called me to do this, I want to make myself more available to others who want to learn how to do this. I'd invite you to come out and join us. You don't have to get up and preach. One of us will do it. But you can stand in the crowd and you can pray. And you can stand in the crowd and at the end of the message you can turn to somebody next to you and say, do you understand what, what he was saying? Do you understand what that message was about? Do you have any questions while you're handing them a book? Um, I, I had the privilege of leading two to the Lord last night. And that's, that's exactly what I, I wasn't the one preaching. They actually were leaving the meeting before it was over. And I just went to ask to give them a book. Now my question is, the thing I ponder is, why do you all let me have all the fun? Uh, I, th there is that great reward. I remember Jabe talking about going to the doors, and he says, there's some guys that can't wait to go out and knock on doors, and they know there's a prize behind one of them doors, and you just keep knocking until you find it. It is a numbers game. But going back to what Paul said to the Thessalonians, are you not our crown of exaltation? The one who wins souls is wise. And it's not just supposed to be for the one who goes out as an evangelist and preaches at a big gathering somewhere or goes out on the street corner. You know, one preacher was talking about how he, he was in the cheesecake factory and he had a, a prepared set of, of, of questions, probing questions. And he, he asked the server this, what do you think Jesus is doing right now? In the server, she picked up on the, on the grammar and on, the, on, the, on the, the tense, and she said, what do you mean, what is he doing now? He's dead. He's not, he's not alive. And this gave this preacher a golden opportunity to explain how he is alive and went through a bunch of verses telling about what Jesus is doing right now. And that was the question he liked to use. What do you think Jesus is doing right now? And that's a great approach. My favorite one is this. What do you think is going to happen when this life is over? Or what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? Now, that's, that's kind of a gut punch question. But if we've already have sort of broached the subject, they know where we're going with that. And the, question, the answer I get most often to that is, I'm not sure. I, I hope I'm going to heaven. And occasionally I talked to a couple last night I'm going to heaven, and, they, and I, I don't let them get easy answers. I'm not gonna, just going to go with, yes, I'm a Christian, or I'm a believer. I'll ask them and draw it out of them, and they were. They're good God-fearing Christians. 
But it gives the opportunity then, and I like that, personally I like that question because it turns that individual towards thoughts of eternity in their own position. And I try to do it in an unthreatening manner. And I'll, I'll joke a little bit, I know this is kind of a tough question, but I think you'll agree that the answer is important. And again, if you establish a rapport, you don't have to be polished in doing it. That's one of the reasons I'm going to do a message in a couple minutes that I've never preached before. And it's, it's about one verse evangelism. You don't have to be an expert in every field of theology to go out and share your faith. I often tell people who have just trusted the Lord, I give them a little booklet, and I talk about all the confessions they just made and their statements of belief, and I assure them because it's completely true. I said, you know enough now that you can go home and lead your mother, your father, your brother, your sister to the Lord. It really is that simple. The Lord wants it to happen. If you go and share, you're going to be planting seeds. You know, we pride ourselves in, in spending all this time studying the Word of God. Um, what do we do to make personal application? Now, I see a great deal of that here. You know, people might look and say, well, that's a, that's a small little gathering. But man, there's a lot of power here. I see the wonderful things that are happening in the children's ministry. Again, I see all the support in prayer we're getting for the gospel message going out on the street preaching team. And I would say great is our reward in heaven. But we never want to rest on our laurels. And again, if I can help somebody develop a greater ability to to use one-on-one personal evangelization with friends, relatives, and with the strangers, well, then that's what I want to do. And I'm prepared to work with somebody on an individual basis. And again, I still extend the, the invite uh, to come out with a preaching team. At least come out and see what we're doing so you have a better idea of what to pray for. We've had folks from here do that as well. Um, as I was thinking about what I was going to speak on tonight, I was looking at a few things, and I, I found this one verse evangel, evangelism thought that was really pretty well put together. And I'm going to take a stab at doing it. I haven't done it yet. I just glanced at it and put this up here on the, on the paper. But again, it's a very well thought out method of giving the full gospel to somebody from one verse. We often talk about John 3.16, the entire gospel being there. But in Romans 6.23, it really lends itself to using one verse and delivering truth to somebody. And they talk about doing it on the back of a napkin. And it really is that easy. You just write the verse out. If you're having a conversation with somebody in a restaurant or a friend, you know, if you're listening, the, the thought of mortality and immortality comes up a lot more often than you might imagine. And as you reflect back on some of the conversations you've had, there's been open doors, because I've walked by hundreds of them. And I'm always kicking myself, how come I didn't see that? But when it does, you don't have to have anything extra fancy to, to meet the need. You can write this out on a, on, a, on a napkin or a piece of paper. And I've made up, if somebody wants some, I've made up some little half-sheet 
pieces of paper with this on one side and with the, a map and the contact information here for the chapel on the back side. And I've got another sheet that sort of gives instructions on what to do with this. As you begin to talk with somebody, again, you might just ask them that question. You know, I've been thinking a lot about eternity and what happens after this life. What do you think about it? And you start the conversation. I mean, it really is that simple. And you say, I saw this thing that sort of speaks to me and, and gives me confidence. And I understand what God says in the, in the simplest terms. And it defines my relationship with God. And not just mine, but those of all mankind. And as we often do out on the street, you can say, you know, this verse starts out with some bad news, but it finishes with some fantastic news. And because of the outcome, it's all good news. It is the gospel. And you say, there's some really some key words in, the, in this verse, and it's, we're going to use it to sort of create this picture of us and God. And again, there's this separation of us. And if mankind is over here, we want to have fellowship with the living God and have this, this direct communion with God and have eternal life. But this verse tells us that there's a problem. The wages of sin is death. If you take that word wages, we just add that down here. Wages. You know, if your boss refused to pay you what he owed you, you'd be kind of upset, wouldn't you? Well, God is going to make sure that every wage is paid. And that's sort of frightening when you think about it in this context. The wages of sin is death. So we'll just add those two other words over here too because they really define where man is. And if we know what the Bible says, the ultimate death is eternal separation from God. Because that's really what the definition of death is, isn't it? It's separation. We always think it in physiological terms as separation of our soul and our sentient being away from our physical body. But you know, God is eternal and infinite. He is the giver of life. The ultimate definition of death is eternal separation from God, which the Bible tells us means forever existing in that hot place that none of us want to go to. Well, it looks pretty bleak. We've got wages, we've got sin, we've got death. That's our lot. That's where mankind is. Man is over here, distant, far off, without God, without hope. You know, it's... it's it's, it's odd here that we might put a lot of import on this word, but that word there, but, but God, makes a very interesting study. What it tells us is, it's a coupler, but it tells us there's a change here. If we're facing the wages of sin being death, God has a gift It's of God, 
and it is eternal life. But how does that solve this separation? Well, it solves it because it is in Christ Jesus. Though we are separated from God, as we said before, by sin, this gift from God is through His Son, Jesus, has put away the sin. And now, what was the instrument of execution for Jesus becomes our bridge to God. Because the price that was owed for our sin has been put away by the Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in one verse, with a little bit of drawing, in just a few minutes, you're able to impart to somebody something then that they can take with them away and they can ponder this. You know, very few people, if any, ever hear the gospel the first time and fall down and trust in the Lord. Normally there's, there's been some preparation. They've heard the gospel. Perhaps they've been somewhere that doesn't really teach the gospel, but they've heard enough scripture read that has begun to take root in their heart and the Spirit is pursuing them and brings them to you. And to have a piece of paper folded up ready in your wallet, in your car, in your briefcase, your purse, might mean the difference between somebody coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that day or not. It also, it's reassuring for the one who's receiving it because they can, they can look at it, they can listen as you're talking, they can see it written out, and they can hear the description. It makes it easy for them. But it also makes it easy for the one who's giving the gospel, doesn't it? It's like a road map that you just follow right, right along. Again, it's not an excuse not to be prepared, but I, I trust that everybody in this room can clearly and easily explain how, why you needed to be saved and how you got saved. And again, I'll say, if you know that much, you can certainly share with others. And it comes down to not being able to give a polished, um, a, a polished demonstration of a gospel message. No, you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody that is personal. And you can relate. That's the same type of relationship I have with Jesus. It's a personal relationship. And then they can take that away with them. So I've, I've printed a few of these up. I've got notes. I'm, I'd be happy to send it to anybody that wants it. Again, the whole goal of this is to prepare the saints to share their faith. Um, that we might see many in heaven who are our crowns of exaltation. And also to avoid that, that pain of thinking of those who aren't going to be there because either I was too timid or perhaps because I was living such a wicked life that there was no chance of having a, um, an ability, an opportunity, and even the Spirit moving in me to share the gospel. You know, like to say, I, I'm not totally worthless. I can be used for a bad example. Don't copy me where I did that. You know, as Paul would say, follow me even as I'm following Christ. I, I'm trying to follow Christ. And I'm trying to get out and preach the gospel. 
And our success, again, is due in no small part to the prayers of all the saints that are supporting this ministry. And for those of you who are in prayer, you're every bit as much a part of it as the, uh, the one who's getting up and preaching the message. Now, I might argue that that's the, the single most important thing that can be done is that prayer. It's more important than, the, than us getting up there with faltering, halting speech, uh, trying to preach the gospel. No, it's, and I don't know why it is, but God seems to work the most when the saints are praying the most. Where the prayer is being applied, so is the Spirit of God. He wants to work in partnership with us. Why he would want to partner with me, I have no idea. But if he's willing to work with me, I try to make myself available. How much do I, do I give? You know, we sang this morning, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. That last verse is tough to sing. I, I, I'd like to say I'm willing and ready to give it all up for the Lord, but I'm not there. Yet we should be challenged to do that. You know, we read so much this morning from Mark. Our brother read from Mark chapter 3. I think it was verse 14, where it talks about Jesus chose 12 to be with him and then so that he could send them out to preach. And what did we study? We, we, we read those parables about the soil. We go out, like I said, there's some that as soon as they hear the word God, or especially when they see the word sin, it's like, I don't mean to be demeaning, but like cockroaches, they, 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 they're scurrying from the light. There are others that sit and listen, and some who, who receive it. And I don't know how many of those professions are false professions. Like I said, we pray that there's none. But no doubt, many of them go away saved, but they'll never grow another, another lick. You know, we're trying to work on trying to have follow-up with them. But we can't choose the soil. The Lord sets divine appointments. We want to faithfully meet them. And there are some who will produce a hundredfold. Now that's speaking about the soil for those who get saved, but I think it's that, that parable to me also speaks to those of us who are believers. The first one where the seeds are taken away, I don't think that pictures the believers, but I agree with, I think our brother was saying that the rest of them, there are those who receive it with joy, but it's rocky soil, no roots. They, they burn up and go away, no fruit. That's the choice for us. And I was thinking this morning of that hymn, must I go in empty-handed? And not to beat somebody over the head with it, but that thought is like, man, I can carry, can I carry all the works that I've got for the Lord in, in one palm? Is it going to take two? Do I need a bag or, or a wheelbarrow? God has prepared good works beforehand that we might walk amongst them, we're told in Ephesians 2.10 right after we have those two verses to say, salvation is not of works, it's of faith. But the next verse is a reminder, God has already prepared good works for us to do, and we want to be faithful in attempting to do them. As we run this race with endurance, which has been set before us, as we're told in Hebrews chapter 12, each of our path might go a little bit different direction. It's all going to end up at the same spot. It's going to end up at Bema before Jesus. And we want to make sure that as we take that path, we're picking up every piece of gold, every piece of silver, every precious gem that he has set before us. And we're, 
with faithfulness, prosecuting the duties that we as ambassadors for Christ, as we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, that we are speaking as if Christ were speaking, delivering the message he gave us to, to give. And again, the parables this morning, the lampstand, the lamp, you don't hide your light under a bushel. And the whole goal of all of this is to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ for the souls that have been saved, that he's already paid for, rather, that he should receive the glory of, of fellowship with them forever. And Romans 10 tells us, you know, how are they going to believe if they don't hear? And how are they going to hear if the gospel isn't preached by someone who is sent? Jesus has chose, chosen us to go out. As Paul said, you know, we, we're God's chosen people. He has chosen us for a purpose and that we might make evident the light which he has given to us. We were a people without redemption and yet now we've been given redemption. We were a people that were distant, far off without God. We've been reconciled to God. Um, there is a new covenant in place. And we are the ministers of that covenant in sharing it with the others. And one day we're going to give an account, like the watchman on the wall. Did we warn? Did we do all we could to turn those who were going to the pit? Did we try to turn them aside? And as he gives us opportunity, I pray that we would see it, that we would be sensitive to the moving of spirit, that, that we would work. Again, um, there's a number of us here that would love to work with others who want to share their faith, and we want to make ourselves available for that. The ministry here is flourishing. We're not without our problems. I said we've got a wonderful children's ministry. We're, we're reaching children in the neighborhood through VBS and through Awana that aren't part of this chapel. We want to be faithful there, but we also, as adults, want to make sure that the personal work we're called to do is done with efficiency by the moving of the Spirit according to the will of God. Father, we thank you for this truth that you've given us, for this free gift that we can be free, that we can have peace with you, that the enmity which existed has been put away forever. That certificate of debt has been taken by our Lord and Savior, your Son, Jesus, and nailed to the cross. And we bear the, the, that debt no longer because he fully bore it. Only he can know the full weight of sin because he, he bore the entire weight of the sin of the world and yet did not falter and did not fail. He does all things well. And through his perfection, he has brought us cleansing. Oh, Father, help us to have a heart for the lost. Help us to see the open doors that you've set before us. Help us to submit to the moving of the Spirit. Help us to continually pray for the Spirit to have his way with our lives. Help us to make ourselves sanctified vessels fit for public service. Again, that we might show our, our gratitude and that we might reflect your glory into a lost and dying world. We pray for the opportunity here in Claremont to reach the lost and then beyond Claremont throughout all Southern California. We pray that not only we here, but the saints across this land would be stirred up by the moving of your spirit and a pouring out of a conviction which would uh, cause us to squirm and to be lively and to be about the business that you would have us attending to. Again, we, we pray that you would part us in kindness tonight, in loving, tender kindness for one another, 
but also for the lost. May your name be praised and glorified, and may your love be reflected through us to our friends, our family, and to those who see us, that they might question what it is, why we have this hope, this gladness, this love that pours out from within us that is impossible from the flesh, but is made manifest by the presence and power of your Spirit in our lives. We thank you and praise you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.